Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Yeah, 
three, two, one. The Firekeepers Casino 400, Sunday, June 9th at Michigan International Speedway. NASCAR's most entertaining track. There's tons to do with the whole family, like camping, live music, fireworks, and more. Tickets for as low as $39. Admission for kids under 12 is half price with a free pit pass, courtesy of Henry Ford Allegiance Health. Michigan International Speedway. You don't get it until you get here. Visit MISpeedway.com for tickets. NASCAR is back at Sonoma Raceway, June 21st through 23rd. Be there as NASCAR's biggest stars take on a new course, including the infamous carousel, plus a jet show, activities for the kids, food, and much more. Celebrate Sonoma Raceway's 50th anniversary at the Toyota Save Mart 350, June 21st through 23rd. Tickets start at just $30, part of the Big O' Tires racing season. For details, visit SonomaRaceway.com. This is NASCAR driver Brad Keselowski, and you're listening to the Pit Stop Radio. Good evening from Daggy Nation. I'm Tim Bespain, alongside of SpeedwayDigest.com's Mr. Stephen Wilson. Stephen, how you doing this evening, brother? Doing pretty good. How about yourself? Hot. Like you always say, hot. I'm, it's hot and it's dry here. In, is it Talladega or Talladega? Suzanne tell you it's Talladega, but... He, it's hot in Talladega, brother. We ain't had no rain. I see before y'all got a little bit of rain. Did yeah, actually, it's been fairly mild up here the last couple of days in the 70s. So we haven't cracked um, the 80s. Well, I mean, cracked it for a little bit yesterday. But overall, this week is supposed to be fairly nice. So that'll give us a little bit of a retrieve from some of the heat that we've had over the last week or week and a half or so. Sounds good, brother. And let everybody know the number to call in is 215-383-3681. Again, I'm Tim Despain, alongside of SpeedwayDigest.com's Mr. Stephen Wilson. Coming up here at 20 minutes after the hour, we've got a production manager there for Stuart Hawks Racing. Mr. Tony Gibson's going to be swinging in the pit stop for Stephen and I, and I'm sure we got a lot of questions for, for him. But, Stephen, uh, we, got, we had some breaking news come out shortly, and uh, I'm going to try to find my button that you probably don't like, which I, there it is. Uh, the NASCAR infraction sheet from Pocono. Uh, they got the number forty-one car. Imagine that. We got Tony coming on tonight. They got Billy Scott, the crew chief there. Uh, section ten dot nine dot ten dot four tires and wheels. Stephen, hold on a minute. Let me, let me press it here. Yeah, NASCAR released it uh, on Tuesday this time. So a lot of times, Stephen, it's Wednesday before they release the uh, the penalty report, and it is a uh, it's just a safety level penalty. Uh, they got Billy Scott for ten thousand uh, dollars on the tires and wheels. You want to talk a little bit about that? <laughs> well, it's just a standard run of the mill penalty, but you know we see this pretty much every week. At least one team is. Um, tagged for, you know, one mug not loose on the car. So, uh, you know, just some run of the mill. And most of these teams have just gotten to the point where they're just, they're just paying the fine and getting over with it because it's really, in the grand scheme of things, it's not hurting the team. Uh, maybe a little bit financially, but aside from that, it doesn't hurt the driver, it doesn't hurt the points. So, might as well just pay the penalty and go on. 
And Stephen, for some of our listeners, I don't know this, and I hate to put you on the spot, but these uh, fines that are paid by these teams, the crew chiefs, or what have you, exactly where does that money go back to NASCAR? What what do they use that for? I don't want to put you on the spot, but I don't know, and I was just asking. All the money that is collected through these fines uh, throughout the year is uh, sent to the NASCAR Foundation um, for charity. And they use that money from the NASCAR Foundation for various different charitable projects that um, you know either NASCAR themselves are working on, or uh, you know one of the tracks may be working on to give out uh, different grants to the tracks to further their charitable uh, endeavors. So, uh, so yeah, that's that's what all this money goes back to. It's a it, it's a it's a charitable contribution. To the NASCAR Foundation, however, the teams, um, I do not believe that the teams themselves can write it off as a charitable contribution. Now, I may be wrong about that, but I don't think that they can. Uh, but NASCAR just, again, just takes all this money, gives it to the NASCAR Foundation, and NASCAR Foundation then gives it, hands out, you know, uh, either directly works with the charitable groups or hands it out grants to uh, different, um, uh, like the Betty Jane France Award, um, where they pick somebody in the community uh, and give them some money to continue their charitable work. They, you know, that's an example of where some of this money would end up at, um, as well as um, the uh, pediatrics at the uh, hospital there in Daytona that works with uh, critically ill uh, children. So, um, you know, those are just some of the things that the NASCAR Foundation is involved in, and there's many, many more, but, you know, those are probably two of the uh, two of the things that many people would probably know about uh, readily offhand. But, uh, yeah, it, it does go for a good cause uh, at the end of the day. Thank you for clarifying that, Stephen. I've been wanting to ask you that for some time now, and there's been a lot of, been a lot of people on social media asking me that, and then I said, I do not have an answer. I said, let me go to the experts, bwayjs.com, Mr. Stephen Wilson. And, Stephen, before we get uh, Tony coming on here shortly, uh, Ross Chastain made a big statement today, and I did. he declares he's running for the NASCAR Gander Outdoors Truck Series Points Championship. That come out today with a note you and I got, and I did not, I thought you had to declare which, series you were running for a championship prior to the start of that year's series, Stephen. Can you clarify that for me and also for our listeners? So, yeah, I mean, you do you do declare it at the beginning of the season before you start running as to what series that you're going to be collecting points in and declared uh, for points. However, a driver can switch their points at any time in the season. Um, we've seen this. Uh, we've seen this happen um, multiple times before. Uh, we know that uh, um, that uh, Landon Castle has done this in the past couple of seasons with JD Motorsports uh, to help them out. Um, but you know, I think this is a statement from Ross Chastain where he feels that he's going to be the most competitive in that truck. Uh, going forward. Now, he's got a tough road ahead of him. He doesn't get any points. The win doesn't count towards the playoff. He starts at zero. So, um, he's got about eight races or so that he's going to have to go and collect as many points as he can. 
I think it. I mean, I think it's going to be a very tough road. I think he's going to have to get a win, um, no doubt, and he's going to have to be in the top 20 in points to to even be uh, eligible. So right now, he's down there 23rd, 24th, 25th, somewhere. I, I think no, I no. I'm sorry. I think he's a little bit farther down the board than that. But either way. Um, you know, these, these next couple of events that are coming up, the triple truck trial is just going to start at Texas. And then they're going to have Gateway and, uh, um, forgive me, I forget what the third track is, but, um, you know, this, this, there's not going to be any cup drivers in it. There's going to be no Xfinity Series drivers in it. It's just going to be Campbell Truck Series drivers, uh, again, or Outdoor Truck Series drivers in, in these events. Um, had Ross Chesting declare points at the beginning of the season. He uh, would be second in the points right now with 321 points, uh, 10 points behind Grant Infinger, but with one win. So he would go into the playoffs right now, as it currently sets, as the number one seed in the playoffs had he committed to the Kempfield or Truck Series points. So it sounds to me that he's going to focus all of his energy there in the Truck Series. And I think that by what I, I gathered, not only from that statement, but other statements that have been made, um, that he may not be entering as many uh, uh, Xfinity Series races or Cup Series races here in the future because he's ran every single race in all three series up to this point. He's the only driver to do so this season. Um, you know, But he is going to have to skip out on Michigan to run uh, down in Texas. So um, I think it will be, again, a hard road for him, but uh, we've seen what uh, Neath Motorsports is putting together with that truck, and I have no doubt that they um, are going to give it everything that they can. Stephen, to add to your point there, yes, uh, Garrett Smithley has been uh, has been pinned to drive the number 15 there uh, for Premium Motorsports at Michigan. Uh, just like you said, Ross is relinquish that ride and to let some of our listeners know Stephen that might not they might not follow Ross Chastain like you and I have we've had him on the show multiple times last year uh he is a which let me say this before I go back to last year he is a uh driver there for JD Motorsports and has been loyal to Johnny Davis and th- that team and runs really really well and then last year he got the opportunity to go to Chip Ganassi racing with DC Solar and he actually won a race, and you and I seen him. He was going to win a race at Darlington, that Xfinity Series race there at Darlington, and him and Kevin Harvick had their altercation. And to talk a little bit about this young man, just like you mentioned, every time a seat comes open, if he can get in something, he's going to get in it. And, Stephen, going back to last year, and with him signing with Chip Ganassi and all this legality stuff falling apart with D.C. Solar, and with him sticking in there like, like he's sticking in there, like a like old ingrown toenail, like I say. This young man down the road has got something coming. It's just a matter of time, correct? Well, I think I mean I remember if I remember correctly. I don't know if it was right after his Kansas win or if it was another uh, um, time that we had him on the the, the show. Um, I, I remember him asking him. You know, why doesn't he take all these sponsors and effectively just build one big sponsorship package for one series and uh, find a team or, you know, uh, 
whatever and go at it. I, I don't honestly, I don't remember what his answer was to it, but I think he has. Uh, I, I think he's in now in a position where he can kind of do that. Um, he's capable of winning. I think we've seen him as being able of winning in these series, and I think the sponsors are now starting to come on board uh, to allow him to make this run. And I think if he makes a, a a heck of a run at it this year, whether he gets into the playoffs or not, uh, I think that you know he may look to next year and say, I'm just going to commit to one series. I'm going to take all these sponsors, put them together and I'm going to have a complete sponsorship package in whatever series that I'm going to run with, and that it's going to be, uh, a, you know, with a, with a top-tier team um, that that can uh, run for the championship. I would definitely agree. And, you know, like I mentioned, we've had Ross on multiple times. You've got him. We've got him. I want to thank Scott Revis for everything that he has done for us. Also, Glenn uh, you know Scott Revis and stuff. There's a whole driver there at JD Motorsports. And uh, coming up very shortly, we've got uh, some of nicknamed the old man. But, Stephen, did we have, did we have any? I know Spencer Boyd come out. We've got a note on Spencer Boyd. Spencer Boyd in the NASCAR team. Here I go, like you did. NASCAR Gander Outdoor Truck Series. Click and buy guns.com. Partners with Patriot NASCAR driver Spencer Boyd this weekend at Texas Motor Speedway. And you and I have been fortunate enough to talk to Spencer, had him on the show. He actually does a show on our network, Speedway Digest Radio, SpeedwayDigest.com. Speedway Digest Radio Network on Blog Talk Radio. I'll get it right in a minute. He does a show on Monday evenings, and I, they actually do a Facebook Live with the radio show and all that. You know, you and I, Suzanne and AM, talk to him at, at, uh, at Charlotte, but that's a, that's, excuse me, that's another big deal coming out with a sponsorship the way it is nowadays and Spencer last year run full time in the NASCAR Xfinity series with him going to full time in the trucks this year. And he's had, he's had some pretty good runs, Stephen. And the sponsorship deal there with click and buy guns.com. I'm going to throw that out there for Spencer and give them a big uh, shout out. Steve, you have anything on that? Uh, I'd have to go back and look at it. I, I don't have it in front of me right now. Okay, sorry, I didn't mean to put you on the spot. But they announced, uh, I think it was yesterday, yeah, yesterday, that clickandbuyguns.com. I had never, I'm going to have to go on that website and check all that out. But, yeah, Spencer, Spencer's a real asset to us, too, Stephen. That's our Gander Outdoors Truck Series driver. And uh, I want to thank him and uh, Joshua Altus, his PR guy, for what all they do for the for the show. They stick right in there. Stephen, I was trying to find if there's any more breaking news we had come out before we bring Tony on. Tony hadn't called in yet. I'm looking through my notes. I know Richie Childress Racing had an announcement today. If you could find that one out, I'm looking for it now. Try not to have any dead air, but Richie Childress Racing announced uh, a deal with Tyler Reddit with, uh, uh, I can't find it. Stephen, have you got it? Uh, yeah, the, uh, it's a previous sponsor that's been on Daniel Hamrick's car in the past. Um, KCMG, if I remember correctly, they're, they're an Asian-based, uh, company that is, uh, uh, um, 
that has been on <coughs> excuse me Richard Childress racing cars in the past um, primarily uh, Daniel Hammer last season uh, that's the last time we saw them uh, on the Xfinity Series car let's go ahead and bring on our guest tonight legendary crew chief uh, been around Stuart Haas racing he's done a lot uh, as of right now he is the production manager Stuart Haas racing for all four teams. Let's bring on Mr. Tony Gibson in the pit stop. Tony Spain and Stephen Wilson. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the main event. Mr. Tony Gibson, thank you very much for joining us tonight live from Talladega. How you doing, my friend? I'm doing pretty good, thank you. How about y'all? Thanks. Doing doing great, Tony. But I'm I'm gonna hand you over to Steve Wilson, SpeedwayDigest.com, and let him because uh, we always swap out, Tony. We let each other start first. But anyway, I want to ask you a question before I send you over to Steve. And uh, I know you're an avid fi- an avid fisherman, and with you coming off the road now, how's the fishing going? And What's biting up there in North Carolina, bro? <laughs> well, after my trip Saturday, nothing. I didn't catch nothing. I uh, went to High Rock Lake, and me and my son-in-law fished for about six hours, and we got a few bites, but didn't put no fish in the boat. But it sure beats working, I can tell you that. Exactly. And, Tony, again, thank you very much for coming on uh, live from Talladega. I'm going to hand you over to Stephen Wilson, SpeedwayDigest.com. He's right outside of Richmond Raceway there in the Commonwealth of Virginia, and I got a couple questions before we let you jump out of here. So thanks again, Tony, for coming on. All right, thank you. Thanks. I appreciate you taking the time to come on here tonight, Tony. I wanted to start off kind of, you know, at the beginning of your career. You know, you're originally from Daytona Beach and down in Florida, and you came up early on in your career um, to come up to North Carolina. You know, I think most people would probably remember you um, not for, you know, your beginnings in in NASCAR, but your work with uh, Alan Kowicki. So can you just talk about how that relationship developed for you and just some of the things that maybe, you know, we've, we've heard stories of Alan Kowicki, uh, him being in the garage late at night, early in the morning, working on the car, turning wrenches, just like uh, the mechanics on the road. But can you just tell us, you know, just how that developed, that, that relationship with him developed, and, and kind of what you uh, were able to experience in that era, uh, especially for somebody like Alan Kowicki that wasn't, you know, the most funded driver out there and, and eventually won the championship um, in 92. Yeah, so I was actually at the time, um, in eight, 1986, I was working for uh, Norman Degree in North Carolina here. And I was hanging bodies. Um, we were hanging bodies for uh, Robert Yates, and we did some Ford teams. And uh, so we had uh, Venturini Motorsports. They were an ARCA racing, and we would actually hang bodies for them. And then Alan ended up renting part of Norman's shop there on Lane Street. And uh, so I worked in there, uh, you know, did mechanical work and, and mostly hanging bodies. And that's how I met Alan. He was renting his shop. We became friends, and, and he kind of saw what I could do, and 
and I kind of thought it was pretty cool how, how a guy like him was trying to do everything by himself, and you know, with a pickup truck and an open trailer, and and uh, I thought it was pretty cool what he was trying to achieve. So we we actually kind of made friends uh, just from working in the same shop together, and then uh, Alan moved out of there and uh, moved over in a little shop off. And um, so about a, two years later, I get a phone call, and um, it's Alan, and, and uh, want me to come to work over there. So actually, uh, that was my real first uh, cup team uh, job was, was with Alan. So uh, that's kind of how it all got started. Um, and then it evolved from there. You know, we, uh, we, we, we went on the road. I was a mechanic, uh, hung bodies, and, you know, because back then, there was only about six or eight of us that worked there, and we all we did pit stops, we did put the cars together, put the motors in, and uh, put the bodies on. We did everything right there in that little bitty shop, and it was so small we would push cars in and out uh, every day just so we could work on one car. And uh, so uh, you know uh, that's how my relationship got started, and it, it blossomed from there, and uh, you know winning races and and uh, finally to go on and, and, uh, and win a championship. But, you know, I became really close friends with Alan, and we did a lot of stuff outside of racing and, and uh, became a really close friend. So, uh, you know, throughout those few years, it was, uh, you know, I had a great time, and, and obviously it kind of put me on the map, you know. You know, later on, later in your career, you switched over from that car chief role to to the crew chief role. Just how much of a difference is it that you go from you know working on the car, being the car chief, to now running you know running strategies on the top of the box for for the team and the driver? Um, just how, how difficult is it to make that transition? Um, it's it's the, the most the hardest part about it is not the car side of things. The hardest part is managing the people. Um, you know, you when you're a crew chief, you know, you're responsible for a whole lot more people, you know, plus the, the car. But the car chief is pretty much, uh, you know, the guy that takes direction from the crew chief and kind of makes sure that, uh, you know, his direction gets put into the race car and the car is mechanically sound and all the setups get put in, the setups are right. And, uh, and that, you know, the car chief kind of guides the rest of the crew members, uh, so once you become a crew chief, you know that your responsibility obviously is not only for the race car uh, and communicating with the driver, but it's also making the decisions on setups and you know pit stops and and uh, and that and the day-to-day operations of that race team. So uh, just the responsibility on your shoulders is uh, is a lot heavier uh, just from the people side of things. But as far as the car side, it really doesn't change anything. The car chief does just as much as a crew chief as far as the setups and stuff like that. So this, they're real critical people. This, like in today's world, it's, it's so computerized and, and engineering-driven, and it's just so complicated now. It's pretty much like a football team. You know, there's a head coach, and, and then there's a, a line coach, and there's a defensive coach, and there's an offensive coach, a quarterback coach. So you have to spread it out now, and, and uh, one guy can't do it all anymore. So... You know, you have to have several engineers that work for you that work in different things about the car or about the pit stop strategy. Uh, and, you know, the crew chief's biggest job is, is uh, you know, just managing the people and, and um, communicating with the driver and, and looking at wind tunnel stuff and simulator work and, and staying close with the driver. So 
it's quite a bit different than it was, uh, you know, even 10 years ago. In 2017, you won the Daytona 500 with Kurt Busch. You know, that, that's the biggest race that NASCAR races all year long, and it really just kind of flips the tune for the entire season. As a, as a, as a Daytona 500 winning crew chief, uh, what does that mean? You know, people see you guys on the box, the elation at the, in, on the box and victory lane, but when you talk about being a Daytona 500 winning driver or Daytona 500 winning crew chief, what does that mean? Whoa, how 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 is that different? How does that how does that totally separate or totally differentiating uh, from from a regular season win? Just you know, just how big is it to a team or a driver or, or a crew chief to go in there and win something that big? Yeah, well, like I said, that's that's our Super Bowl. That's our you know, in, instead of being at the end of the season, that's at the beginning of the season, and and. You know, it's a uh, it, it, it's a prestigious race, and it's there's not too many people that have won that race if you look back. So, um, and it you know, it, it, so many things have to happen perfectly to win that race on that day. Uh, it is so hard to win, uh, but that's our Super Bowl. That's that's like a it's like the a baseball series. It's like you know the football team winning the Super Bowl. It's uh, that is that's how big that race to a crew chief or uh, a driver or even the teams. You know, it just means so much to to be able to say that you know you're the champion of that race and uh, you know it's it's uh, it's pretty exciting and it was emotional for me obviously because you know it was my hometown and uh, I grew up you know not even six miles from that place and I was born at Halifax Hospital which is less than half a mile from that place so that the you know the first racetrack I ever uh, big racetrack I ever walked into was Daytona, so uh, you know it was it meant a lot to me. Uh, you know, other than just the Daytona 500 to win in front of family and friends, and and uh, when you're a kid growing up, you know, um, my family's raced, uh, you know, my brothers, my dad raced all. That's all we've ever done. So, you know, you achieve to win to be something, and and I always wanted to be a crew chief, and you know that race Daytona 500 is the one you always want to win. That you just you know, maybe someday I'll be there. Maybe someday I'll get there, and maybe someday it'll happen for me. So, you know, in 2017, uh, you know, it happened for me, and it happened for my guys. And you know, I was so happy for my team because the team, uh, you know, those guys have been with me for 16 years. Uh, you know, through the DEI days and and the Stuart Hoss uh, days, and so we had been together a long time, and and we'd won it before with you know, with other drivers, but to win it as a crew chief is just a totally different feeling. Uh, you know, it's like the head coach winning the Super Bowl. So um, that kind of puts it in perspective of, of what it feels like. My final question to you is you've worked with some of the biggest stars in the sport, not just Quirky and uh, Kurt Busch, but you've also, you know, you you worked for Stuart Haas Racing, which is uh, uh, founded by Tony Stewart. You've worked for with Mark Martin, Bill Elliott, Jeff Gordon, you named some of the other stars in the sport over your career. Who do you think that you were the most surprised about in their driving ability, and what was the best piece of advice that maybe one of those drivers gave you? Well, I think, uh, you know, I think the, the the one that impressed me the most, um, you know, as far as that just pure drivability and and the, the passion um, about racing, 
you know, would have had to have been Mark Martin. Um, you know, we're still great friends and talk all the time, but, um, you know, he, he he's probably the one, as, as far as me crew chief and a driver, um, that I felt like kind of helped me, guide me along, uh, give me some good advice about never quitting, never giving up, um, believe in your guys, believe in yourself. And, you know, Mark Martin's the reason that, that we all went to uh, to Stuart Haas Racing. You know, we had the Army sponsorship at DEI, and when DEI closed down, um, Mark Martin called Tony Stewart and uh, talked to uh, the Army uh, folks there with the sponsorship and, and said that, um, you know, they would be foolish not to hire that whole team and bring them over to Stuart Haas Racing. Uh, and put us to work, and that's what we did. We, if it wasn't for Mark Martin, that never would have happened. So I'd say Mark's probably the most influential driver that I've been around, other than Alan, obviously, um, who has helped guide me and give me some good uh, direction. And uh, and and still today, you know, we we uh, we text and Facebook back and forth, and I seen him at the Hall of Fame when we did Alan's induction. Um, a little ways back and um, reminisce and reminisce about old times when our crew chief for him and, and racing. Even back when we were late model racing out of Florida, Mark would come back down there and race against us. So we've been friends quite a long time. I appreciate you taking the time to come on here tonight. Best of luck. Um, you know, you've been off the road now, but I'm sure you got plenty of work to do over at SHR these days. But uh, best of luck throughout the rest of the year. And I'm going to throw you back over to Tim. All right, I sure appreciate it, buddy. Thanks, Stephen. Tony, uh, Stephen touched on a lot there. Uh, I want to touch up, touch on a little bit back last year. Uh, uh, after Rodney Childers got suspended for the final two races due to a L1 spoiler penalty, you had the crew chief, the number four there, Kevin Harvard. Can you talk a little bit about how that went down? And did you really want to do it, brother? Well, like I said, I was I was my goal at the start of the year was to be retired from the road and never have to get on an airplane and go back to a racetrack and obviously that didn't happen. Um but that's part of my agreement with Stuart Hoss Racing is you know, I go to six or eight races, most of them are close that I can drive to. Um but, you know, I knew that going in that if something happened to uh, you know, a crew chief, uh, like earlier before that at Bristol Johnny Klausmeyer, uh, he couldn't be there on Friday or Saturday, so I had to fill in uh, for him with Eric, um, and then at the end of the year with with Harvick's deal and Rodney's deal. So, you know, I kind of knew that sooner or later it would probably happen. I didn't know it was going to happen from a penalty, obviously, but I figured, you know, at some point in time I had to fill in for somebody. Um, but you know, it's uh, it's it was one of them deals that it happens and, and, uh, you know, we're a strong organization and, and, uh, you know, when it happened, we're like, okay, this is what we're dealt with and how are we going to address it? And, uh, when we got the news, we, uh, we all jumped in a room and talked about how we were going to handle things and how we were going to do it. And, uh, as a company and, um, you know, I thought it, uh, it went really well. Everybody did a really good job. Um, you know, I know all those guys obviously because being in the shop, 24 um, 7. I know that team really well. I know everybody on that team really well. So it, I fit right in. I uh, didn't have any issues with that. And, you know, obviously I've had, you know, had experience with Harvick uh, 
as far as you know being around him quite a bit, talking to him, you know, when they're when he's at the shop and and some of the debriefs that we were in when I was crew chief, and so it wasn't that big a deal for me. I mean, I just felt like you know it was just another day at work, and and uh, I, I just got after it. So um, I thought everything went went well up until we had the flat tire at Phoenix. You know, we sat on the pole and won both practices, and we were leading the race and uh, had a flat at the end of that stage. And but we overcame. It was a stressful day. Um, you know, I didn't want it to come down to that kind of stress. You know, I was just looking for really easy get in there, sit on the pole, win the race, and go home, go on the homestead. But it uh, ended up being a lot more work than that. But, uh, you know, we overcame it as a team, and everybody pulled together. And, uh, you know, we made it to homestead, and we were 18 laps away from winning that one. You know, we're leading the race. The caution comes out. We get beat off pit road, and, and uh, you know, it is what it is. But I felt like the team as a group and the company as a group, um, we addressed what was in front of us. And uh, I thought everybody – uh, we, you know, we we hit on eight, all eight cylinders, and we did our job, and we just come up a little short. And tell me, talk a little bit about. I know, like you and Stephen talked about, y'all been you've been running sport for some while now. You see, seeing the rules packages change and all that, but now uh, NASCAR has implemented the uh, the optical scanning system, and I want to get your thoughts on that if I can, Tony. I know you know. Back in the day, that's chocolate's chocolate's quote there. But uh, the optical scanning system now, I mean, it really, really comes down. It looks at everything on the car. And I want to get your thoughts on that, if I can, uh, Tony, before I let you get out of here. Yeah, it's, um, you know, it's, it's quite, it was quite an eye-opener. Um, you know, it's obviously something that none of us had ever seen before. Uh, we have had some white-light scanning before experience with that but never uh the hawkeye scanning um which takes a lot more points um so yeah it took a little getting used to um we worked really hard obviously last year uh on how to work with that thing and i felt like we did a good job as a company um to you know exercise and get the best out of that we could but you know basically that thing is is it has projectors in it uh, and it has lasers, and basically it looks like a discotheque uh, inside when the when all the lights come on, and it picks up thousands of points on the car, uh, and then it takes all those points, and it, it makes a graph out of them, and it kind of just draws a picture of the car. And uh, so it can tell exactly to the thousandth uh, on, the, on the surface of anything, uh, no matter what you put in there. It can tell you exactly, uh, you know, what that surface is, and, if you put in a tolerance of what it's supposed to, the, the model that it's supposed to be measuring, uh, it'll be spot on. So trying to find ways to get around that thing is, is challenging. Uh, it's a really small box we work in, uh, and that thing is really smart. But, you know, we try every day to do our best <laughs> to beat that thing. And, uh, but, you know, uh, sometimes you're able to find a little something, and but most of the time it's, it's pretty accurate and it's uh, – Keeps everybody in in the in the same box. Amen, Tony. And Tony, before we let you jump out of here, we always let you know drivers. We always let everybody thank their sponsors, thank anybody that has helped them get to where they're at now. But you, as a crew chief, uh, I know you go back in the day. Like I said, chocolate. Uh, thank anybody that has helped you. Any sponsors you want to st- uh, thank for Stuart Hoss Racing. Uh, Tony, we're gonna give you the floor. 
Yeah, well, we have a lot of we have a ton of sponsors. Uh, you know, obviously, Hall Automation with Gene Hall is uh, is is our major uh, sponsor. He's the one that kind of you know pays all the bills and, and puts everything together. And you know, obviously, we don't have all, all our races sold on every car, just like everybody else. And Gene makes up the difference. So, uh, you know, but you know, you know, Bush Bush Beer does a ton of work for us. Mobile One is a huge sponsor. So. You know those those three guys and Outback Steakhouse they do a really good job. Smithfield, um, you know all those they just you know I'd be savvy. Um, they're just real patient with us. You know last year was one of those years where you know a lot of companies never experienced 13 or 14 wins in a season and four cars in the final eight in the chase and this year we're struggling just a little bit. We've had to beat but we can't close it so. I just want to thank all those sponsors and, and people that, that stick behind us in the good and the bad. So, uh, you know, we have a lot of great sponsors, and we're real privileged uh, to have those folks on board. And, or, you know, obviously we wouldn't have a job. So, uh, you know, it's very important to uh, to perform and keep those folks happy. Listeners, legendary crew chief there, Tony Gisman, joining us. Tony, thank you very much. Tell uh, you better half and all the kids there we said hello and thank you very much, Tony. We'd love to have you back on later. All right, Tim. I appreciate it, buddy. Take care. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, Tony. All right, bud. Steven, Tony Gibson there, uh, Stuart Haas Racing. He made a lot of comments there. You had a lot of questions also. And I asked a question there about, well, I don't know where I'm going with that. Stephen, just let, let our listeners know a little bit about what Tony Gibson had to say there. Good friend of mine, good crew chief, one of the best crew chiefs ever. And I want to – let me go ahead and say this. When you brought up that question about Alan Kowicki, that brought back memories. And he went back there. He was the car chief there. Uh, Alan Kowicki, God bless his soul, he lost his life there. But – that's just some awesome stuff, Stephen. I don't know what to say. I'm stuck for words listening to Tony Gibson talk about Alan Kowicki. Well, I mean, there's a lot to talk about Alan Kowicki. Unfortunately, you know, that was just, we would have to dedicate an entire show to it. So, um, you know, a lot of people that came out watching the sport remember from 92 when, you know, Ford Motor Company allowed him. Um, to change the name of that Thunderbird at at Atlanta Motor Speedway to the Underbird because, you know, they were an underfunded team. They were, um, you know, not the favorites to win. Um, and, you know, they, that's that just kind of harkens back to a day when the drivers not only drove the cars, but they got out of the cars and worked on them in the garage. And you know, we have a few drivers today that, that do that, but it is getting less and less all the time. Uh, drivers today is, are, are given one job. Get in the race car, hold the steering wheel, drive a race car, win the race. That, that's their only job. They they rarely ever turn a wrench. Most of them don't know the mechanics of the cars, and that's unfortunate um, because it kind of, you know, I, I think, it, you know, the famous scene in Days of Thunder you know, a call trucker gets out and says, look, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. And I think there's a lot of, you know, some of the struggles that, that drivers have today is um, they don't know how these cars are built. Um, they, don't, they, they just don't know. And, 
you know, when you know when you're trying to work with a driver that you know can understand the difference between tight and loose on a racetrack, but sometimes the you know the the things that they need to change from a tight and loose perspective on the car, um, you know, they just don't know. They just may not know the mechanics of it all. Um, sure, you got Ryan Newman out there who uh, he has an engineering degree. The guy could probably build one of these cars if he had to build them. Um, but you know, it's you know, Alan Quickly was just one of those drivers that could build the car, worked on the car, got out of the car in between practices, uh, stayed late, came in early, um, you know, worked with nothing, um, and, and won the championship. Um, beating out teams as you know, the Hendrick Motorsports of the day, the Robert Yates of the day, um, you know, the the Richard Chosers of the day, the Junior Johnsons, the you name somebody back in that era, and they were able to to to, to beat them um, because of I think a lot of it being that Alan Quickie was not just only a good driver, but he was a good mechanic too. So he knew how to to tune the cars to his driving style, and you know I think that's just today. It's unfortunately just a lost art. Uh, with uh, with a lot of drivers and even the younger drivers coming up, um, you know, most of them don't turn a wrench in the car anymore. You know, from the time that they're in late models, which are short track, uh, all the way up until they get into ARCA or K&N or uh, trucks or Xfinity or Cup or whatever, they've just never turned a wrench in their life. And I think it's just a, an unfortunate lost start, something that, uh, again, I think Alan was just... Um, he was just so proficient at it, um, and he was a perfectionist at the same time. So, you know, I think it just shows, um, you know, I, I think it just shows, you know, just the different eras that we're living in. But, yeah, just, uh, you know, just we, we could talk about Alan for hours on end. Amen, brother. I know we can. Let's take a little quick break, Stephen. Let you get a breather. i get a breather and let uh, our darling uh, – my darling wife, Suzanne, uh, handling the phone lines there, get a, get a little breather. We'll be right back uh, from the Pit Stop Radio studio here in Talladega Super Speedway, and Stephen Wilson is right outside of Richmond Raceway. We'll be right back after this quick song from Three Doors Down. Yes, 
I'm Matt DiBenedetto, driver of the number 95 Procore Toyota Camry, and you're listening to The Pit Stop with Tim Despain. We're back live from Duggan Nation. I'm Tim Despain alongside of SpeedwayDigest.com's Mr. Stephen Wilson. Stephen, uh, we had some breaking news come out of the media center there at uh, about Kyle Busch. Uh, quote, unquote, stop talking about the package, Stephen. I mean, you know, uh, you and I are media members, uh, Jeff Luck, uh, Bob Parker's there, and there was a local media guy that got jumped on by Kyle Bush there about talking about the package. And, I mean, you know, <laughs> sort of seems a little bit childish, don't it, bro? Well, I think, you know, the he's been asked time and time again and I think his answer doesn't really change um I don't honestly sometimes I don't know how you can ask the same, ask the same question in so many different varieties and expect a different answer um you know no disrespect to the to the guy that answered to ask the question in the media center he was a local uh newspaper guy that that uh um you know that covers the sport but you know, that question had been asked, asked before several different times for several different people over several different weeks. Um, you know, he was asked about it at, at Charlotte. He said it sucked. He came to Pocono. He said it sucked. He said before it sucked. And I, I don't, I don't, you know, you can you can ask the same question over and over again, but if, if Kyle Bush is, you know, his answer is that it, it sucks, then it sucks. It, it's just, you're not going to change, you're not going to change his mind. Um and you know that's his opinion of it, and everybody can have their opinion of the package or whatever they want to have an opinion of. But um, you know, I, I think Kyle Busch was just kind of just saying, "Look, you know, you've asked me, not you personally, but you know, this question has been asked of me, you know, multiple, multiple times. Um, I've given you my answer over and over again, and I don't really, I'm not really going to change my answer. I'm, I have no intention of changing my answer." And, you know, we all know that when we ask Kyle Bush a question that you don't know the response you're necessarily going to get sometimes uh, from him. And, you know, I think that's why it becomes so noteworthy that, you know, the question was asked and the way he answered it is, you know, it became noteworthy. Um, and a lot of people have talked about it and spread on social media and we're talking about it. Others have talked about it on the radio uh, on TV, wherever the case may be, and, you know, honestly, you know, I, th- I think Kyle Bush has just set his mind to, um, that's his opinion, and, you know, there's no really further discussion on, on this topic unless you have something in specific that, um, you know, aside from what do you think, you know, if you, I think he would probably be willing to have a conversation or answer questions if, uh, somebody had something in specific um that they that they want to ask and you know maybe it's not necessarily surrounding the package itself but maybe it's a, a a change in the package maybe it's one component in the package that they have a question about um you may have got a totally different answer but I, I, my takeaway was that you know he he's just been asked it multiple times before and you know he's done answering the question so you know let's move on Amen, Stephen Wilson. I mean, you know, my God, uh, radio, social media, they're all, um, Kyle Bush has his opinion. 
to whatever he said. And you and I are media members also. And you have asked Kyle Bush questions. I've asked Kyle Bush questions in various media media centers at track. And I don't know what the take is on this deal, but Stephen, let's play this media center audio there. And uh, I know you've heard it. I've heard it. And let's see what we can get out of it. We'll be right back. We are now joined by the race-winning driver of today's Pocono 400, Kyle Busch, driver of the number 18 M&M's Hazelnut Toyota for Joe Gibbs Racing. We will open it up to the floor for anyone who has questions. Start with Jeff. Obviously, you've been outspoken all year about this package, but when you win, like, how do you reconcile the feelings of winning with this package versus how you feel about it? Um, I think I passed one car today. That was on the outside of turn three, and I got a good run through turn two and kind of shallowed entry to turn three a little bit, and uh, Boyer went to block, so I just shot out to his outside, got alongside of him. I mean, that was that was it. Um, I don't know if anybody else passed anybody on the racetrack for the lead like that, but um, if so, then maybe this package is awesome, but that's all I know. Zach. <coughs> Zach Sterniola, Pocono Record. Uh Two parts. Uh, first, on a scale of one to ten, where would you rate the package? Here? Stop asking me package questions. I'm done answering them. Next. Okay. Go to Bob. Well, then you may not answer this one. Uh, but like, so, do you do anything to kind of either motivate yourself or to try to get you in a positive frame of mind for races? Nope. Am I a positive person? <laughs> it's rare. I just go, man. I just do what I'm supposed to do. I try to drive as hard as I can, as fast as I can. If there's a car in front of me, I try to pass them. Whichever way I can do that, I try to do it. And if I can't do it, uh, there's days that I'd get ultimately frustrated because I don't feel like my true talents uh, can show on the racetrack because I'm too limited by the air of everything that's kind of going around around me that I can't make any. I can't do anything as a race car driver. When you can't do anything and you can't showcase what your abilities are and how good you should be or you feel like you are, then um, there's there's certainly some some tense moments and some high frustrations, um, and today that it was going to be that day, early on in the race we couldn't really pass, um, but then there towards the end, um, I had, I don't know how Boyer got by me. He got a good run off of turn one I guess and got in front of me, but then uh, a couple laps later I was able to get back by luckily. So I don't know. On the restart there, knowing how important the the draft was today, or at least the pushes were on the restarts, was there any kind of coordination between you and Eric to, to try to work together on that restart? Uh, well, that wasn't the final one. You talking about the final one? or no? Well, the final one, Eric was on the inside of me, so I had to compete against him, so it was straight up. Um, you know, I, I didn't ask, and they didn't ask, so um, I figured we were just racing it out, and, um, you know, we were just going to go with whatever went on behind us, what runs we got, what pushes we got uh, from behind, and Really, when I left the restart zone, um, Brad touched me twice uh, in second gear, and then after that, I, I never got touched again until right before getting off into the corner. And that kind of seemed to be the way a couple restarts earlier in the day as well, too, where you're, I'm trying to back up to those guys and get pushes, and really all you're doing is slowing down that train. So, like, the higher horsepower of the other package, you could push all the way down in there, and you could fan out, it, I felt like, more than what this, uh, than what this package alluded to. Go to Dan. 
Dan Gelfin, Associated Press. Kyle, as someone who racks up milestones almost every week, what does it mean to now you're in a tie for nine with Rusty Wallace on the career wins list? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's pretty special. You know, we just keep on doing what we're supposed to do. I, um, I've won 55 of them, I guess, but, man, there's probably – just as many that I've that I've lost out on, and I know that I could that I could, if I could have them back, you know, I'd be I'd be well on my way. Um, but overall, just um, you know, keep keep fighting, keep digging. Um, it, it's pretty cool to continue to um, to get with and eclipse many of these great names that uh, have helped our sport, build our sport uh, to what it is today, and have been um, icons for that matter as well. Zach, Zach Tan's ready. Kickitandtires.net. Does this count as a birthday present for Samantha? Absolutely. Why not? You know, uh, we had a, a nice day yesterday. We went into the city and just kind of played around and checked some th- checked some things out, and um, you know, and then today um, was able to get her an eagle trophy. So, not sure where she'll put this one, but uh, she might just give it back. Any other questions here on the floor? Go back to Jeff. I can't tell whether you're happy or not right now. Huh? Are you happy? Why? <laughs> you just won. You won the race. Yeah. So. <laughs> Did, does winning make you happy? Like, are you, are you leaving here? You're like, yes, yay, everything's everything's great. Yes, yay. Okay. No, I'm just wondering. I'm, now, I'm not putting words in your mouth. I'm now, wondering. Now, I can't tell. I mean, am I happy? Sure. Yeah. It's it, today was a good day. We did what we were supposed to do. We did our job. We've had fast cars this year and have thrown away too many so i've left the racetrack way too many too many times this year frustrated you know and uh, i guess i try not to let the highs be so high and and the lows be so low but i could i could probably roll somewhere in the middle so um you know when you when you win um you know there's a lot of guys that enjoy it a heck of a lot more and and get the high from it but um to me that's that's uh that's what i'm supposed to do that's my job and so i just today was a successful day Steven, that was Kyle Bush here at the Mini Center after he won the uh, Pocono 400 there at Pocono Raceway. And uh, that media member there, he got a little bit, I don't know. I mean, you know, I don't know what the criteria is for asking a question like that, but I think he was totally in the clear of asking the question that he did. And I think Kyle Bush was, uh, I'll go ahead and say it, he was an asshole in his response to. That gentleman's question. Well, I mean, you know, again, I think it just goes back to the fact of, uh, you know, what, um, you know, questions continue to be asked. And, you know, there's two back-to-back questions on the exact same thing, on the exact same topic. Um, you know, we, we, you know, again, Tom Bush has already made his, uh, his opinion sense on, on what exactly um you know this package is, and uh, you know there's you know uh, I, I mean we all know again you know you go out there and you ask again you're gonna ask Kyle Bush a question you don't necessarily know what you're gonna get um, you know I and, and I think you know some people are fishing for stories and other people aren't fishing for stories and some people have good intentions and. Some people have bad intentions, and there's all kinds of intentions as to why you ask a question to a particular driver, whether it's Cobblish or not. Sometimes it's just not intentional. It may be just the way uh, in the few seconds that you have to answer, ask the question to the driver that, you know, it may not be as well-versed as the way that you had thought it out to be. And sometimes it's just 
you know, it just slips out and, you know, you, you're not thinking. And then sometimes you may have some intentions as to why you're asking a particular question over another. You know, Kyle Busch does make it interesting. And I think we, you know, we, we continue to say, I mean, fans continue to say we want to see people with emotions. We don't want to see people that are, uh, you know, just vanilla and, you know, just total on. And, you know, we want to see people go out there and, you know, say things and do things on the racetrack and say things in interviews that, uh, you know, show that these people are human and that they have real emotions and, you know, they have real opinions on uh, whatever the particular matter of the day is. And I think that's what Kyle Busch does. As he goes out there and he does that, he shows that he has, um, you know, he has opinions. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think anybody should just take it negatively. Uh, in the way that he may say things, because again, you know, here's a race car driver, uh, and you know, he's not the only one over the years that has done this. I mean, these race car drivers literally jump right out of a car, and within 20 minutes or something, um, you know, they've already been put in front of TV two or three times. They've been on uh, radio two or three times. They've 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 done all the sponsor things, and then they get shoved into a media center for you know 30, 45 minutes, an hour, whatever it, whatever the amount of time is. And, uh, you know, there's, there's, these are raw emotions that, you know, race car drivers have just like anybody else. And I think that uh, for the population as a whole, that, you know, if you're in that position too, um, you know, you, you're going to maybe say things or things are going to be construed out of the way that you really mean to say them or uh, whatever the case is. Because, I mean, there's, there's limited or no time to decompress. And, and while we have drivers out there that, you know, we... Jimmy is a drive, and Jim Johnson is a prime example of this. He can get out of a race car at four or five hours, whatever the case is, you know, on a hot summer day or a cold, or a cold winter or autumn night, and he's the same person. He does the same interview. He he thanks the sponsors in the same way. He answers the questions in the same way. His mannerisms are the same way. Um, there's there's no black and white with Jimmy Johnson. It's a straight up, this is what you get, and it's just kind of, uh, you know, that very vanilla feeling that, you know, he doesn't seem to have a whole lot of emotion sometimes. And um, then when we get Kyle Busch in front of us or the, the fans see Kyle Busch in front of them and he says things like this, um, you know, they, they say, look, oh, we want to see emotions. But as soon as Kyle Busch has emotions, then we're just as quick to criticize him for having emotions. So, you know, again, I, I think it's, you know, every driver and everybody has, has a different way of handling things. Uh, we as the media, we, we handle or ask our questions in various different ways uh, with and without tent, and sometimes they're just accidentally or just, again, like I said, in a few seconds that you have to ask a question, sometimes you, that, that question that you thought up for the last 20 minutes or whatever the case is, waiting for the driver to come in or waiting your turn in the media center, doesn't come out the way that you, you want it to be. So, therefore, I just think that, you know, we, we have to take it at face value. And, uh, you know, Kyle Busch goes out there and wins races, and Kyle Busch comes into the media center, and um, he's going to give you his opinion. And I don't think, you know, honestly, this, I don't think he honestly cares one way what, what people think about him. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm just as fine with that as Jimmy Johnson coming into the media center after winning a race. And, and, you know, he's that pure vanilla guy that doesn't really stray outside the boundaries very much. And he answers the questions and he gets out of the way. And, you know, I, I'm just as fine with anybody because, you know, I think that's what the sport needs. We need people that are 
you know, characters. We need people that are, you know, have emotions. We need to have various different groups and various types of people in the sport because if they were all the same, it'd be a very boring sport to cover. Very well said, Stephen. And uh, before we jump out of here, I want to thank Tony Gibson there. Uh, uh Production manager there for Stuart Hodge Racing. He's come off the road. He is uh, over all them cars there. But, Stephen, before we jump out of here, uh, let everybody know what, what the schedule is for this weekend at Texas Motor Speedway and wherever the others are. Yeah, so we're going to be at Texas Motor Speedway in Michigan in, in Michigan um, this weekend. Um, so there's racing at two different tracks this weekend. Everything's going to kick off Friday afternoon uh, with NASCAR Gander Outdoor Truck Series qualifying at 5.35 Eastern time. Um, MRN has a radio call. FS1 has the, uh, um, has the race at 9 o'clock, 167 laps, 250 miles in speed cash, 400 out there. That's on Friday night. Then on uh, Saturday, moving back over to Michigan International Speedway, NASCAR Xfinity Series qualifying 10:35, um, single single vehicle, uh, one lap all positions for them to be immediately followed by Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series qualifying again, single lap, uh, single vehicle all positions out there. Xfinity Series racing out there for the LTI 250, 125 laps, 250 miles at 130 FS1 has coverage for that, as well as Sirius XM and MRN Radio. Uh, will be on site for that. Then on Sunday, you've got the Firekeepers Casino 400, 200 laps, 400 miles, 2 o'clock, FS1, Sirius XM Radio, MRN, all have your coverage for the weekend out there. Um, so we've got, uh, this be uh, the last race uh, for, uh, we're going to get a Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series, we're going to get a week off after this race on Sunday before we go to Sonoma. So uh, these guys will uh, last race for them before they get a little break. Thanks, David. Let everyone know thank you for you did on social media and your website, brother. And uh, we'll jump out of here. Follow us at Speedway Digest on Twitter, Facebook.com, slash Speedway Digest, and SpeedwayDigest.com. And, Stephen, thank you very much. And I want to thank Tony Gibson for joining us tonight uh, to talk about a lot. There at Stuart Horse Racing, and we will talk to you next Tuesday live from Talladega, Alabama. I'm Tennis Spain, alongside of SpeedwayDigest.com, Mr. Stephen Wilson. We'll see you next week.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.